Chapter Twenty One of Marjorie Dean, High School Sophomore, by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter Twenty One: The Last Straw. It had been Mary Raymond's firm intention when she closed her door that Christmas night to resume hostilities the next day. But when she met Marjorie at breakfast the following morning, her desire for continued warfare had vanished. Some tense cord within her stubborn soul had snapped. Looking back on yesterday, she realised that it had not been worth while. Now her proud spirit cried for peace. She wished she had not been so ready to doubt her chum's loyalty, and with a curious revulsion of feelings she began to long for a reinstatement into her affections. But her perfunctory good-night had cost her more than she dreamed. It had awakened a tardy resentment in Marjorie's hitherto forgiving heart that she could not readily efface. Outwardly Marjorie seemed the same. She returned Mary's greeting pleasantly enough, showing nothing of the surprise it had given her. Mary was not destined to learn for some time to come that a reaction had taken place. Mr. and Mrs. Dean were relieved to find that Marjorie's prediction was not verified. To all appearances, the two girls had definitely resumed their old friendly footing. Only Marjorie knew differently, but she did not intend then or on any future occasions to betray herself, even to her captain. As the winter days glided swiftly along the road to spring, it was circulated about among Marjorie's intimate friends that she and Mary had settled their differences. Keen-eyed Jerry Macy, however, had seen deeper than her classmates. Although Mary now occasionally walked home with them or accompanied them to sergeants, spending considerably less time with Mignon, Jerry was quick to feel rather than note the slight reserve Marjorie exhibited toward Mary. "'Don't you believe they've made up?' she declared to Arma Linton. "'Mary may think they have, but they haven't. I guess Marjorie's grown tired of Mary's nonsense. I'm glad of it. She's a silly little goose.' I mean Mary, and she's lost more than she thinks. It was on a sunny afternoon in late March, however, before Mary was rudely jolted into the same conclusion. Mignon LaSalle was so possessed of the seeing eye. Mary was no longer her devoted satellite, although she still kept up an indifferent kind of friendship with the French girl. Mignon soon divined the cause of her lagging allegiance. "'You are a little idiot, Mary Raymond, to follow Marjorie Dean about as you do. "'She doesn't care a snap for you. "'She may treat you nicely, but that's as far as it goes. "'She cares more for that miserable Stevens girl in a minute "'than she cares for you in a whole year. "'Why can't you let her alone and chum with someone who appreciates you?' "'I don't follow Marjorie about,' contested Mary hotly. I never go anywhere with her unless she asks me. She merely does that through courtesy, shrugged Mignon. I suppose she thinks it's her duty. She is a prig and I despise her. Mary's face flamed at the obnoxious word duty. In a flash her mind reviewed all that had passed since that memorable Christmas day. 
her cheeks grew hotter at the brutal truth of Mignon's words. "'If you think I care anything about her, you've made a mistake,' she retorted, stung to untruthfulness by the taunt. "'I'll soon prove to you that I don't. "'Stop running around with her and her wonderful friends and I'll believe you,' sneered Mignon. "'I will, if only to show you that I don't care.' "'flung back the angry girl. "'That's the way to talk,' approved Mignon. "'She had kept but a few friends among the sophomores "'since that fatal practice game, "'and she did not intend to lose Mary from her diminished circle. "'Besides, she was certain that the deans, one and all, "'did not approve of Mary's friendship with her, "'and it accorded her supreme pleasure to annoy them.' "'I'm going to give a fancy dress party two weeks from Friday night,' she went on with an abrupt change of subject. "'Nearly all the girls I'm intending to invite are juniors and seniors. We'll have a glorious time. I don't have to strip our living room or furniture for a place to dance. I have a real ballroom in my house. I'll send you an invitation in a day or two. Surely enough, three days after Mignon's announcement, the invitation was duly delivered to Mary through the mail. She read it listlessly. She was not keen about attending the party. Marjorie merely smiled when Mary showed her the invitation and briefly announced her intention of going. She graciously offered the snow-white costume she had worn at the masquerade of the previous spring. Mary declined it coldly. She had not forgotten Mignon's taunts. Since then she had kept strictly to herself, steadily refusing Marjorie's polite invitations to accompany her here and there. Earlier in the year Marjorie would have grieved in secret over this frostiness, but Marjorie had hardened her gentle heart and now fancied that Mary's movements were of small concern to her, and so the wall of misunderstanding towered higher and higher. Mrs. Dean willingly helped Mary plan a cunning little girl costume, and when on the night of the party she entered the living room in obedience to her captain's call, "'Come here and let us see how you look, Mary,' a lump rose in Marjorie's throat. In her short white embroidered frock, with its Dutch neck and wide blue ribbon sash, she looked precisely like the pretty child that she had been when she and Marjorie played house together in the Raymond's backyard. The blue silk stockings and heelless blue kid slippers emphasised the babyish effect of her costume, and Marjorie had to work hard to keep back her tears. But Mary could not read that sudden rush of emotion in the calm, uncritical face which Marjorie turned to her. Mignon had sent her runabout for Mary, and it was a trifle after eight o'clock when the LaSalle's chauffeur drove up the wide, handsome driveway to Mignon's home. It was an unusually mild evening in April, and as they neared the porte cochere, a slim figure in gypsy dress ran down the steps. "'I've been watching for you,' called Mignon, as Mary stepped from the runabout. "'The musicians are here, and so are most of the girls. "'I can't imagine why the boys don't come. "'Only six have appeared so far. "'We've had one dance,' she went on crossly. "'Some of the girls had to dance together. "'Wasn't that horrid? "'Take off your cloak and let me see your costume. "'It's sweet.' 
The chauffeur had disappeared, and the two girls stood for an instant at the foot of the steps. Advancing suddenly out of the darkness marched a sturdy little figure. Under its arm was thrust a diminutive violin case. "'How do you do?' it greeted with a quaint bobbing bow. "'I come to play in the band.' With a quick exclamation of surprise, Mary Raymond darted toward the tiny youngster. "'Charlie Stevens!' she gasped. "'What are you doing away over here after dark?' "'I come to play in the band,' repeated Charlie, with a jubilant wave of his violin case that almost sent it hurtling from his baby fingers. "'Uncle John cummed, and so I cummed too.' Mary knelt on the driveway and gathered him into her round young arms. "'Listen to Mary, my dear little boy. Did Charlie run away?' She had heard from Marjorie of Charlie's frequent attempts to sally forth to conquer the world with his violin. The child's sensitive face clouded. His lip quivered. "'Connie says I have to always tell the truth,' he wailed. "'I runned away because I have to play in the big band. "'A man come to see Uncle John this afternoon. "'I heard him talk about the band. "'Uncle John come to play in it, so I cummed too. "'Only he didn't see me. "'I kept behind him till he got to the gate. "'Then after a while I cummed too.' "'Mignon LaSalle stood watching the wailing aspirant for the big band "'with frowning eyes.' "'I suppose this ridiculous child belongs to those Stevens,' she sneered. "'Ain't a ridiculous child?' contradicted Charlie with dignity. "'I'm a musician. I can play the fiddle. I like Mary. I don't like you.' "'I have heard that this Stevens boy was an idiot. Now I believe it,' snapped Mignon. "'I suppose I'll have to take him in until someone comes after him.' I didn't know his uncle was to be one of the musicians. If I had, I would have made the leader hire some other man. I shan't tell his uncle that he's here. He's hired to play for my dance, not to waste his time taking a simpleton home. It's a perfect nuisance. Her long hoop earrings swung and shook with the vehemence of her displeasure. Mary Raymond's face changed from red to white as she listened to the French girl's callous speech. A lover of all children, she could not endure the slight put upon this tiny boy. She straightened up with an alacrity that nearly threw Charlie off his balance. Her blue eyes flashed with righteous wrath. "'How can you be so harsh with this cunning boy?' she cried. "'He isn't an idiot or a simpleton.' He's as bright as, as, courtesy conquered, as any child of his age. Why, he's only a baby. He's not going into your house either to wait for his family to find him. He's going home now and I'm going to take him. You can't go very far in that short dress and those thin slippers, mocked Mignon. Don't be a silly. Bring him in, I say, and hurry. I must go back to my guests. "'Please go to them.' Mary spoke in icily dignified tones. "'As for me, I have my cloak.' She held forth one bare arm on which swung her long grey evening cape. 
I should never forgive myself if I neglected this little tot. I'm sorry to be so rude, but I can't help it. I'm going now. Good night. Come, Charlie. Wrapping the cloak about her, Mary gently disengaged the violin case from Charlie's clutch, tucked it under one arm, and took firm hold of the youngster's hand. Charlie was still regarding Mignon's swaying earrings with childish fascination. "'You are an awful naughty girl,' he pouted reproachfully. "'If you leave me now to take that impudent child home, I'll never speak to you again,' threatened Mignon, her black eyes snapping. "'Very well. You may do as you please.' was Mary's laconic response over her shoulder. She had already started down the driveway with her venturesome charge. The little boy had been momentarily awed into silence at Mignon's menacing features. "'She's a cross girl,' he observed calmly as he marched along beside Mary. "'But we don't care, do we?' "'No, we don't,' came emphatically from Mary's lips." And she meant it. End of chapter 21 Recording by Ashley Jane